begin our services. I want to welcome you. If you're visiting, we thank you for being here with us this morning. And if you would, there's uh, some visitor cards in front of you. If you would, uh, would like to, wouldn't mind to fill one of those out, we'd appreciate that to get a record of your attendance. And certainly glad to have you here this morning and invite you to come back again. So this morning, if you look up here, you can see uh, something we haven't seen for about two and a half years. We have uh, servers up front. We will be passing the trays uh, this morning for the, uh, the Lord's Supper as well as for be taking up the offering. And uh, again, it's been about two and a half years. We've, we've talked about this for a while and I uh, feel like it's a good time to, to, uh, to start this back. Uh, however, you know, if you uh, still would like the... Uh, the individual cups, those are still available if, if you would like to, to do that as well. We had 108 in class this morning. That's probably the biggest uh, attendance we've had since COVID, so that, that's really encouraging. Also, Gary Leap uh, wanted me to announce his life group will be meeting up front after services. So if you're in Gary Leap's life group, if you could just meet up front after services. Also, uh, you may have noticed the, uh, the Rome Journal last couple of weeks has expanded. Uh, it used to be the one page and it's expanded. This has allowed us to uh, put more of our news and um, update upcoming activities as well as there is a, uh, a place to, to make notes for the sermon and as well as our prayer list uh, that's listed in there. So I encourage you if you haven't done so already to pick one of those up on your way out this morning. Also we had a uh, have a couple of uh, birth dates today I wanted to mention. Eloise Hayes, one of our shut-ins, is 96 today, so I want to remember her. And Jim Wilgus uh, turned 87 today as well, so uh, a couple special special people and special birth dates I wanted to mention. Our order of worship this morning, uh, Jerry Stevens will have our reading and prayer. Jason will be doing the Lord's Supper, and Drew Clark will have closing prayer. We prepare to, uh, to go to God in our worship service. Let's, let's pray. Dear God, we approach you this morning, Father, thanking you for all the many blessings that you give us. We thank you for being our God. We thank you, Father, for the grace and mercy that you extend to us, for the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. And Father, we just ask your blessings upon us this morning, blessings upon our worship that you will be with us. Pray that everything that is done this morning will be in accordance with your word and, and your will and it'll be pleasing to you, Father. Father, we are mindful of so many that are unable to be here this morning and we just ask your blessings upon them. Ask that you will remove whatever obstacles keeping them from being here and they can be back with us soon. Father, we are mindful of those in Florida and, and elsewhere that have dealing with the aftermath of the hurricane. We just pray for them at this time, that you'll be with them in the days and months ahead, that they can um, be restored and healed and just bless, bless that situation. Father, we just ask again that you'll be with us this morning, um, be with our time here. Pray that we'll remove all distractions from our mind, that we will put our complete focus upon worshiping and, and uh, singing praises to you and and remembering your son Jesus, and we thank you for him. And, and Father, we just um, ask that you would just be with us as we fall short and, and disappoint you so often, and just forgive us of our sins. And 
and thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to, to be here with a body of believers to, to remember and, and worship and, and, uh, and just uh, thank you for all that you do for us. It's through Jesus Christ we pray all these things. Amen. Please stand, stand for our first song. First hymn, number 646, The Love of God. <clears throat> Next hymn this morning, number 643, 643, The Lord My Shepherd Is. And after this hymn, Brother Jerry Stevens will have our scripture reading and prayer.
If you'd like to follow along, you can turn your Bibles to Proverbs 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. Proverbs 2, 4, 5, and 6. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us, for the night's rest, for the rain we got yesterday, for the many blessings of this life that we have. We ask, Father, at this time that you... Bless our sick and watch over them. And we ask prayer for Terry Leap and continue to watch over him and Charlie and Alice and Roger and Peg and Jim and Kathy and Jennifer and Casey and Danny and Cody and all of our others, Father, that are sick. Be with our shut-ins, Margaret Wilgus and Charlie and Alice and Eloise and John and Brenda and Opal and Karina and Yvonne and Babe Jones and Jonda and Wilma Warner and Charles Sloan. Bless them too, Father, as they're unable to be here. Pray that you give them strength and that soon they'll be able to return to services. We're thankful, Father, for being with Jim Wilgus and Eloise and another year on this earth, the people that has been here for many, many years, and we're thankful for them. We're also thankful, Father, for your son who came and died for us. We're thankful for this opportunity to come to worship to you, that you watch over us and pray the things we do are pleasing unto you in accordance with your will. Be with Chris as he presents us with a lesson. 
be with us. Jason, as he, we have the table, the Lord's Supper here in a few moments. Pray, Father, the things we do, we, we do glory to you. Go with us through this service. Forgive us when we sin. Help us to be stronger. In thy son's name we pray, and amen. Next hymn this morning, number 268, I gave my life for thee. <clears throat> Sing the first three verses. I gave my life for thee, in my precious blood I stand, that It's interesting, uh, we announced birthdays of some folks. I looked over at Jimmy, I thought, man, Jim Wogus is 87, that makes me feel old. I remember <laughs> he was a young man, but it's interesting as we look at perspective and time in relationship to the Lord's Supper, which is about what we are, which is what we are about to take, which is remembering Jesus's death on the cross. In a few seconds, in a few minutes here, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22, which is the account of the Lord's Supper being established. But I'd like for you to put a mark in Psalms chapter 22, which is a uh, a scripture that was written a thousand years or more before Jesus died on the cross. And think about as you read Psalms 22, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, because 
Um, we're going to do things that we haven't done in a while today. Um, we haven't passed the emblems together um, or passed them around. And, you know, it seems like a long time, you know, but it was just two and a half years ago. And as we, as we do this and as we read this, I want us to kind of think about how God does not see time the way we do. And this is how we are able to connect with Jesus. And that our connection, although from our perspective as a time-wise is distant from Jesus, it's still present and it's real and it's happening today. Just like it was predicted a thousand years before Jesus actually died on the cross, just like we are now 2,000 years after Jesus did die on the cross and was risen for our um, for the for our redemption. So as we are about to partake of this um, Lord's Supper, I'd like to read from Luke chapter 22, verse 7 and forward. Luke 22, 7. Then the day for the feast of unleavened bread came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us to eat. They said to him, where do you want to want us to prepare it? He said to them, listen, when you entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, following him into the house that he enters and tell the owner of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make preparations there. So they went and found things just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you today. We pray that our worship is pleasing unto you and in, is in truth and in spirit. Lord, we pray that you will bless this bread as we now partake of it. We pray that you will bless those who do partake of it. And Lord, may we do so in a way that is in a worthy manner. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.
Let's give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Dear Lord, again, we come before you thanking you for Jesus, thanking you for his sacrifice. We thank you for its simplicity, and we thank you for the ability to, to partake, Lord, and we pray that you will bless it as we do partake of this fruit of the vine. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. No spills? All right, very good, very good. I always remember as a teenager, whenever I got drafted to do what you guys did, the, the biggest fear I had was that we would spill everywhere. And, and you know, we go two and a half years without doing something. It's, it's really good. So if anyone was, was missed, um, the gentlemen in the back have, have the, um, the bread and the fruit of the vine. 
Um, if we could turn to Philippians uh, chapter 4, as we come back and, and are going to pass the plates again for the first time in a few years, I thought um, I would like to read a little bit about um, Paul in the first century as he wrote to the Philippians, as he talked about giving. And in the fourth chapter of Philippians, um, Paul has a very interesting way of delivering this message of you know, give as much as you can, but this is not on, you know, I'm not telling you to give, but I'm kind of telling you to give, and I appreciate it. It's, it's really interesting how Paul is able to um, word um, uh, his, his phrasing of how we are to give, um, and the example is given here in the, in the New Testament of how the first century church did it. Begin with Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, through most of the end of the chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds of, in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things. And the God of peace be with you. I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Now I know you were concerned before but had no opportunity to do anything. I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my time, in my time of trouble. And as you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. I do not say this because I am seeking a gift. Rather, I seek the credit that abounds to your account. For I have received everything, and I have plenty. I have all I need because I received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, very pleasing to God. And my God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. May glory be given to our God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give to us. We pray that you will bless this offering today as we pass the plates. We pray that you'll bless each and every one, and may we uh, mirror what you would have us to do and the examples that we are given through your word. Again, bless this offering. May it be used with wisdom, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen.
Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 400, Living by Faith. <clears throat> the young children for the Children's Bible Hour will meet in the middle auditorium. So if you have children going to the Children's Bible Hour, uh, go to the auditorium next to us for class. Living by Faith, 400. I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord I know ruler for everything, and all of my worry is vain. Living by faith, yes, living by faith, in Jesus above, in Jesus above, trusting comes by, trusting comes by, Invitation to him for this morning, number 389, 389, let him have his way with thee, Brother Chris. Good morning. Through Proverbs, you kind of know... A little bit about uh, the book. It's not laid out like a lot of books that we're familiar with, is it? Uh, if you read through the Gospels or even Romans or some of the Old Testament narrative uh, portions of Scripture, you'll find something quite different in the book of Proverbs. It's a bunch of one-liners, I suppose is maybe the best way to, to think about them, to phrase that. 
um, that teach you how to not be dumb in a world that is quite confused. Um, so we're going to be walking through several different topics uh, about uh, the book from the book of Proverbs that teach us how to live wisely in a world that is not always wise, that is not always that is quite often uh, confused, especially about God and what He wants from people. And so. Um, I think this will be a fun series for us. I think we'll learn a lot throughout this series. But today we're talking about don't be dumb about God. Like we said, the book of Proverbs has an awful lot to offer us. We don't study it very much, though, do we? Uh, I mean, at times have you heard a lesson from the book of Proverbs? It's hard to teach. Uh, and as you walk through the book, which I encourage you to do, this, this month uh, we'll be walking through this series for the next probably two months or so. I think about eight or ten lessons uh, from the book of Proverbs, different topics uh, from this book that I think will be beneficial for us. So over this next two months or so, read through the book of Proverbs. Try to get through it at least one, um, two times, one time a month. So over the next two months, maybe you can get through it a couple of times. Read through a chapter. There's 31 chapters in the book. So you use about 31 days in the month. So read a chapter a day, and you'll get through this a couple of times throughout our series here. And I think you'll be wiser. Proverbs is one of those books, especially one of those books that we just have to spend time with. You've heard us say that before from the pulpit here. You just have to spend time with Scripture. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual growth is not something that happens very quickly. Uh, this is a slow process. Um, we live in a microwave generation, right? You're familiar with that term. We want everything very quickly. This does not happen very quickly. You have to stop and spend time. Think through what the verses are saying. You've got to spend time in the text to understand what he wants you to understand from it. That is especially true in the wisdom literature because he doesn't always come out and say exactly what he wants to say. He's going to have an analogy usually, and that's especially true in the book of Proverbs where he says... The thing that we're talking about today is like this. And you stop and you think about the this for a couple of days. And you think, yeah, I've seen that in my own life. I've noticed that event happening. And here's how I feel about that event. You think, well, that's exactly what he's saying about this concept of spirituality that he wants me to get across. It's almost intuitive, but you've got to take your time with the text. And so do that as we walk through this series over the next couple of months. Spend your time in the text. Don't read through um, your chapter of Proverbs just as fast as you can go early in the morning before you drink your coffee, right? <laughs> your brain needs to be engaged as you read through this book. You need to spend some time. Maybe pick out a specific proverb that you want to think through that day and just kind of memorize it. A lot of these are so easy to memorize um, because they're situations, you know. Uh, and so you can just kind of memorize the words and think through the ramifications of those words for the rest of the day. So that's my challenge for you for, the, for this series. Read through the book of Proverbs uh, several times. But even more importantly than that, focus on a couple of Proverbs throughout this series and just really spend time with them. Um, kick them around in your head. Think through them. Meditate on these, on these passages. And I think it will be beneficial for you. 
So today we're talking about how not to be dumb towards God. Don't get stuck on the title. Uh, I know that may sound offensive, don't be dumb. Uh, I don't mean it to be offensive, but I think that's the way the book of Proverbs would couch this series. I think that's the way he couches his book. Because it's not, most of the time, positive. He's not most of the time telling you, do this. He's most of the time telling you, don't do this. Don't do life like this. Only a foolish person would do life like this. And you don't want to be foolish. And so we're calling this series, Don't don't Be Dumb. Because I think that's the way God would phrase the book of Proverbs. If he had to encapsulate the entire book in just a few words, maybe don't be dumb would, would be those words. Not to be offensive, but to kind of capture all our attention. We live in a world that's very positive, that wants to be very positive, but they don't know how to, how to do it because we haven't come back to God to figure out how to do it, have we? Um, so the book of Proverbs is going to teach us over the next couple of months how not to be dumb, especially living in a foolish world. Because often if you hang out with foolish people, what happens? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 31 tells us that if I hang out with foolish people, Often I'll become a fool myself, won't I? Um, and you've experienced that, right? Especially as you were growing up, you hang around a group of people who are not making wise decisions. What happens? Well, you fall right in the midst of them, don't you? So the book of Proverbs would tell you to open up your eyes, open up your mind, open up your heart, and think like God does about a variety of these different topics. So don't be dumb. And specifically today, don't be dumb about God. So... We're going to talk about a couple of different Proverbs that teach us a little bit about God, a variety of different things about God. So grab your Bibles, turn it over to Proverbs chapter 1. Let's just start in the beginning. Proverbs chapter 1. I like this book. And like we've said, it's not, it's not a, a narrative. You're not going to find stories in this book necessarily. Uh, the first five, six, seven chapters are a, a cohesive unit. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's instructions from a father to his son. Uh, and so it's meant for all of us. It's not necessarily meant just for the king of Israel. Most people seem to think, or most people think that Solomon wrote Proverbs along with several other uh, people, uh, one of which is King Lemuel, uh, at least his, his mother. He's passing on wisdom that his mother gave him in Proverbs chapter 31. You're familiar with that passage, I'm sure. A variety of people wrote this book. They're all inspired. And so we have God's words coming down to us in a very unique fashion. You can't treat this book like you treat the book of Ephesians or, or the book of uh, Chronicles even. This is a different style of writing. So... It demands more of our time and more of our attention, honestly. But we find a lot, a lot of truths and a lot of helpful thinking. Uh, it's going to teach us a lot of different things as we walk through this book, if we're paying attention. We've got to pay attention, though. So, one of the first things that Proverbs tells us about God is that He simply exists. In fact, the book of Proverbs is just going to make the assumption that He exists. If you look in Proverbs chapter 1, you'll find uh, the very first verse uh, about that in the book of Proverbs. We've just came out of a series where we were walking through some 
Christian evidence is based lessons, right? And so you believe that God exists. Most likely, if you're sitting here this morning, you believe that God exists. Proverbs comes right alongside you and says, I agree. They've already, the authors here have already made the assumption that God exists, right? Look what he says in Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You ever been quoted that verse as someone was trying to teach you something? I tell that to my kids all a lot. Only fools despise wisdom and instruction, but I'm trying to help you here, right? It's an awful hard lesson to learn when you're a kid. It's an awful hard lesson to learn when you're an adult too, isn't it? We don't like instruction. We don't like being called down. But he says, only fools despise that. But listen to what he says in the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So that's what we all want. We want knowledge. We want to live in a crooked world. We want to live wisely, right? And Proverbs is going to teach us how to do that. But the very first thing we need to know is he's just making an assumption that God exists here. He's, he's not going to prove to you that God exists because he's already seen the evidence for it. And so have you, right? And so have you. And so we're not even going to deal with that section of the argument. We've already done that. We can do that again later if we want to. But the book of Proverbs just assumes that God exists. The, the verse Jerry read for us in Proverbs chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 6 He's talking about wisdom. More specifically, though, he's talking about the God who gives wisdom. If you look for him, what? You will find him. Listen to what he says in verse 4. If you seek it, wisdom. If you seek wisdom. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. How many times have you ever seen somebody on the beach with one of those uh, metal detectors? They They kind of do it for five minutes and then they pack it up, right? No, they're out there all day. And you'll, you'll see them uh, in the morning, you'll see them in the afternoon, and they're just kind of walking around looking for treasures, right? What about your job? How, 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 do you, how do you work? How do you do your job, right? If you were to not do your job, what happens to your paycheck? It seems to stop coming in, doesn't it? And so he says, if you look for wisdom like you look for money, Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, why? Well, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So we're dealing with a book here in Proverbs that's written by God in an attempt to give us wisdom so that we can live in a world that is backwards from his world, that doesn't think like he thinks. Because we're a people who are living in the world, but what? We're not of the world, are we? So we think, look, act differently. We value things differently. Our whole lives are are different. He says, if you look for wisdom, like you look for money, you're going to find it. There's a couple of different types of atheists in the world. There are philosophical atheists who um, would be maybe the, the guys that you're more familiar with who contemplate 
whether God actually does exist, whether He did create everything. These are, these are philosophical atheists. But the more prolific, the more prominent, the more numerous atheist is the practical atheist. And you might be one. Right? You might be a practical atheist. You're living like God doesn't exist. We're familiar with the philosophical atheists. Guys who, who think, oh, I can't decide whether God really does exist. And although there are a multiplicity of arguments that would tell us that he does. I, I can't really decide whether he does or not. But take, take those people off the plate for just a second and think about the practical atheists. The ones among us who live like God does not exist. If I'm not driven, turn, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. If I'm not driven by love, I'm acting as if God does not exist. Right? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing if I give away all that I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's saying, if I am the super Christian, I've done everything. I've gone on the mission trips. I've given my budget to, to the treasury of the church. I, I, I am sold out, but I don't have love. You're acting as if God does not exist. That's how serious this is. That's how serious this, this issue of a lack of love is. You're acting as if. God doesn't exist. Now, this is something we work on, isn't it? This is something that we have to put into practice. We have to love the hard people to love. Some people it's easy to love, right? Your friends, the ones who get along with you, those people are easy to love, but we have to love everyone. We have to love especially the brethren that are difficult to love, right? And so if I don't have love, I'm acting as if God doesn't exist. Flip over to 2 Timothy. Let's look at a couple of these. I think this is where Proverbs really helps us out. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Proverbs is an incredibly practical book. You don't find a lot of theology in the book of Proverbs, at least not maybe the way you think normally about it. Like you would go to, Pro, to Ephesians or Romans or 1 Corinthians even to get theology, to understand something about God and what He wants from us. Proverbs has that, but maybe not the way you think about it. It's a very practical book. And so as we walk through this series, you're going to hear boots on the ground kind of thinking um, it's going to be very practical, and some of it might hit you right between your eyes. Um, kind of like this. If, if we are living like God doesn't exist, we might as well be an atheist. You can come to services, you can give, you can have a ministry, and be plugged in here, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. 
you're living like God doesn't exist, if you're doing your ministry half-heartedly or not at all, if you're not plugged in to a work here, I'm living like God doesn't exist. Look at what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. This is Paul's last letter uh, that we know of at all. It's written to a man that he cares about very, very deeply. It's his son in the faith. This is... Uh, Paul's um, mentee, this is a guy that, that Paul loves. His name's Timothy. And he's serving in a congregation. I think it's in Ephesus. At least history tells us that, that, uh, that Timothy uh, was, was there in Ephesus for a good long time. The congregation there suffers, um, at least with, with leadership and spirituality, and they're not moving down the road like they ought to. Uh, and so Timothy, this good man, he's a righteous guy. He's doing good things, but he gets cowed. He, he stops his ministry. Listen to what happens in, in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt in first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you for this reason. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul gave Timothy a gift. It was something that only the apostles could do. These guys, could, these 12, uh, could lay their hands on people and they could impart spiritual gifts. Paul has done that to Timothy. He's given him a miraculous spiritual gift. And at this point in his life, Timothy has been so cowed by the circumstances, by the congregation around him, by life in general, that he has pulled back away from that. And Paul says, no, no, no. You're acting as if God doesn't exist. Listen to what he says next in verse 7. For God gave us a spirit of not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He says, this is not how God would have you to act. You need to be involved. You need to be committed. We talked about that in our Bible class this morning, didn't we? You need to be committed. It's not just a half-hearted thing. It's not just a on a Sunday thing. It's not just a once-a-month thing. I live my life for Him. Everything I have is going toward that one goal, right? And Timothy had kind of pulled back a little bit, apparently. And Paul says, no, Timothy, you're acting as if God doesn't exist. Keep going. Get plugged in. Use every opportunity you have to help the church, to push Jesus' agenda in this backward and crooked world. So if I'm not plugged in, if I'm not working in my ministry as hard as possible, I'm essentially acting as if God doesn't exist. Because there won't be any ramifications for that, will there? There will be, right? If I'm not working as hard as I can, if you're not working as hard as you can to further Jesus' agenda, there will be ramifications. And so if I am not doing those things, I'm essentially living like God doesn't exist. I'm a practical atheist. The book of Proverbs will not have that. If I'm looking for ways to get around God's laws for loopholes, well, I can do this because you see this, this verse, uh, if I'm looking for loopholes, if I'm looking for an easy way out, I'm a practical atheist. If I'm not giving sacrificially, I'm living as if God does not exist. You know this money's not yours. The, the money in your bank account, the money in your wallet's not yours. God 
It's God's, right? And so if I'm not giving it back to him so that the work of the church, if I'm not sacrificially, happily giving to him, I'm essentially acting like he's not real. The book of Proverbs won't have that. It tells us that God exists and that I need to live like he does. Even more than that, though, Proverbs tells us that we can know God and that we can know his will. Flip back to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Let's look at the first couple of verses here. Remember I said it's a, uh, it's a father speaking to his son. Uh, so he starts off here, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, then what in verse 4? We, we just read it a second ago. You'll seek knowledge like you look for money you will understand the fear of the Lord and guess what you'll find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding he stores up sound wisdom for the upright he is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints did you see the boldness of those promises there toward the end of the, the reading there in the last couple of verses. If we seek his wisdom, we will have understanding and God's blessing and protection along with it. Proverbs tells us that we can know God and we can know his will. He's saying something very similar to what Paul says in his sermon on Acts chapter 17. When he looks out at the crowd uh, of people and he's just walked through Athens and they've got these idols uh, set up all throughout the city. And he says, he's kind of walked down their, their church row, their idol row, I suppose. And he's looked at all these different idols. And they've even got one to the unknown God. They, they are so religious that they're worshiping something that they don't understand. And so Paul says, the God that you don't know is the one that I'm proclaiming to you. And he demands your everything. But he says something in Acts 17 that the book of Proverbs would agree with. Of course, right? He says, if you seek him, what? You'll find him. Because he's not far from each one of you. Right? Proverbs tells us that we can know God and that we can know his will. There are some things he's chosen not to reveal. Some object, uh, some object to the reality of God because there are some things they don't, they don't understand. You know, there's, why do bad things happen to good people? Why did... My loved one get cancer. Why? why? Why are all these things true? If you, could un- if you could understand God, if you understood why all the things happened, if you got, if you could comprehend every facet of him, he wouldn't be God. Does that make sense? Go back through and you read the Old Testament, especially passages like Deuteronomy 29, 29, and Isaiah um, where he says you know, the, 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 the deep things of God, these are, these are his things. He says, there are some things out there that only he understands. 
Some of the things are too deep for me, and I don't, I don't understand all the things they, that he's working and how he's doing all these things, and that's okay because I'm human and finite, and he's God and infinite, and so I shouldn't understand all those things. I can't understand those things, but what I need to remember is that I am responsible for obeying the things that he has revealed. Sometimes we get too caught up on the things that he hasn't revealed and all the questions that we have. Some of those things we can tease out and we can, we can make some suppositions here and, and we can kind of work through some of this stuff. But some of the things, they just don't have answers because he hasn't told us the answers. And so we just follow. We just follow. We just trust. Let me take you to one more passage in, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make, your, make straight your paths. Sometimes we just have a trouble, we have, tr we have a problem with trust, right? We just have a problem with trust. And all these questions that we have that are unanswerable, that we struggle with, it's okay to struggle with those things. That makes sense because this life is difficult and things, awful things, terrible things, heartbreaking things happen. We need to understand a couple things. God's right in the middle of our pain with us, never leaving us, right there. But also, I just need to stick with Him. I need to trust Him that He's going to as he put it, make straight my paths. Sometimes we don't have all the answers, but he does. And so we stay with him. We can know his will. And we can know him. Final thing we need to talk about is God is over all of our plans. There are no plans that he's not a part of. And there's several Proverbs that talk about this. Um, flip over to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 real quick. Proverbs 19, 21. He says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord. It's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. There are a variety of verses like that. And you kind of start thinking, well, Maybe making plans is not a good thing. Maybe, maybe me planning is a bad thing. Um, I, I, there's nothing wrong, obviously, with making plans, right? Um, if you go back through and you read the book of Acts, Paul made plans. He had dreams. He had a vision for where God wanted him to go. And he caught a hold of that vision and just, and just went. He trusted, right? And so he made plans. And the New Testament's full of people making plans. The only problem is with plans is when we leave God out of those plans, like the rich fool does in Luke chapter 12. Remember this guy? He has a bumper crop that year, and so he tears down his old barns, he builds brand new ones, fills them full of stuff, and then he dies. And God calls that guy a fool. It's one of Proverbs' favorite words, fool, because he had forgotten to include God. He'd forgotten to take care of the spiritual things. He was so caught up in the money. He was so caught up in getting ahead 
He hadn't, he hadn't had time to take care of the spiritual things. God calls him a fool. There's nothing wrong with making plans. We need to be organized. We need to have visions. We need to have dreams, right? Big dreams, God-sized dreams for his kingdom, for our lives, for our families. We need to have that kind of organization in our lives. That's a good thing. The problem comes in when we leave God out of it. He needs to be at the center of it, not on the outskirts. Everything needs to be driven through his kingdom. His kingdom needs to be at the very center of our plans. Often you'll find folks in Scripture that thought they had it figured out. You go back to, to Exodus and you find Moses, uh, and he's ready to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. At least he's ready to, to, to deliver one Hebrew slave out of Egyptian bondage, and he kills the slave driver. Do you remember the story? He's trying to do it his way. He's got a plan, but what? It's not God's plan. God's plan is something much bigger, much grander. We need to follow through on God's plan. We need to dream big. But then if God overrules our plans, we need to have enough trust in him to stick with him. Final thing we're going to talk about this morning, how not to be dumb about God is that we should fear Him. If you flip back to Proverbs chapter 1, one of the very first verses we, we read uh, is verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What's, it, what's fear mean? Maybe we need to spend a second and talk about what fear means. Often when we think of fear, we think of something that we're afraid of. We're, we're pulling away from those things, don't we? Um, if you're afraid of something, you don't want to be close to it. That's, that's not what he's talking about here in the book of Proverbs when he says you should fear the Lord. He's talking about a healthy respect, right? He's talking about a, a, a love of God, but that when he says hard things that we stick with him. We have enough respect for him. We have enough uh, fear of him, not, not, to, not that pushes us away because he, he wants to be close to us but that we we draw him in we come become closer to him uh, this fear drags us closer and closer to him proverbs gets us miles down the road right as we think about god and his plans and his love for us and what he wants from us we understand some things from proverbs because of this book we understand some things about god but we don't really get the whole plan until we find the New Testament, right? Once we get to the New Testament, we find Jesus dying on the cross, sacrificing himself for our sins, right? We know that he exists. Proverbs tells us that. We're, we're convinced of that. We know that we need to include him in our plans, that we need to fear him this respect that draws us close to him. We know all those things, but we don't understand really what he wants from us, not really, until we find Jesus on the cross. And finally, he says, take up your cross and follow after me. He's offering salvation. He's still offering it today. This morning, if you haven't been baptized, you can have your sins washed away, become a brand new creation in him. That's one of the first ways to not be dumb about God. Act, live as if he exists and that there is a day coming when he will call everybody into account for what we've done here 
only baptism can wash away those sins and make us right in His eyes. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you need the, the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. If you have any this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing? Would you live for Jesus and be always good and good? Would you walk again within the narrow road? Would you have him there to burn and carry all the gold? Good morning, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card in front of you and stick it in, in one of the donation boxes, uh, we would love to have a record of your attendance. Um, uh, so we've had another great week here at Rome. Uh, last Sunday we had singing at Trevathan's. Uh, we had 30 people show up to that. Uh, it was great. It was a beautiful singing. Um, also, we had another fifth quarter on Friday for the uh, Fairling and South Point game. And um, Fairling won, if you didn't know. But, uh, so, but uh, it, was, it was a great game. And uh, we had several for that, and it was another success. Um, as a reminder to all our youth, uh, we will be heading to... Main Street Church of Christ in Hurricane West Virginia. I know I caught myself. Hurricane, Hurricane, so hard. Hurricane, <laughs> uh, Hurricane West Virginia. <laughs> um, and we'll be having a, a youth-led service there 
uh, a Main Street Church of Christ. Uh, we'll be leaving at 5.45. The bus will be leaving at 5.45. The ser- their services start at 6.30. So uh, um, love to have you there. Uh, dinner will be provided after services for that as well. Also, October 8th, we will be doing a Brotherhood-wide door-knocking campaign. Uh, talk to Chris or Marvin if you have any uh, in- any questions, concerns about that, uh, but uh, whatever you can do to help out with that would be greatly appreciated. Also, October 15th, uh, youth will be going to Cooper Family's Corn Maze in Milton, West Virginia. And also, the directory is done. It is out on the foyer table against a wall with a mirror. So um, how this directory is done is the same way it's been done in the past. It is still a three-ring binder. Uh, just take your old pages out, or you can go through your old pages, um, but uh, and just replace them with the new ones. Um, so, but everything, all of it has holes in it now, which is great. Thank you for everybody who helped out with that uh, last Sunday. And um, so, please pick up your directory; is now ready for you to take home with you. Um, also, a reminder that. Uh, Gary, the Leaps, uh, Gary Leap's Life Group will be meeting up front after services. So Gary Leap's Life Group will be meeting up front after services. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep um, Amber uh, Stitzer in your prayers. She's dealing with breast cancer at this time. Remember her. She's going through her treatments. Uh, remember, continue to keep uh, Gary Leap's brother in your prayers, Terry. Um, he has sta- stage 4 bone cancer and liver cancer. And... Um, so he's going through a really tough time at this time. Just remember him and the family in your prayers. Also, remember continue to keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers as well as she undergoes her treatments as well. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 720, Watch and Pray. Watch and Pray. We'll sing the first and the last verse. And then Brother Drew Clark will have a prayer. First and last verse. <clears throat> Watch and pray for the Lord is coming, coming in the clouds of day. Watch for Oh, oh.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come here and study your word and sing praises to you. We especially pray that the services this morning were done in a manner that were pleasing unto you. Father, we also want to pray a special prayer for those who may be sick, unable to be here with us. We also pray for those who may have recently lost loved ones and pray that a certain amount of comfort from you may be found by them. Father, watch over us as we leave this place. We pray that you keep us safe until we can return at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.